Good to see you all tonight. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to read through the chapter, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. If you recall, David is now on the run from Saul. He's been on the run since chapter 20. Last week when we looked at this, um, in chapter 22, we saw that, you know, Saul becoming more unhinged and more uh, suspicious, more jealous. He finally takes out his revenge on the priests uh, of Nob at this time. Nob, remember, is a, a town uh, probably about a, a mile and a half away from Jerusalem over on the Mount of Olives side. And uh, the priests were there. The tabernacle was there at that time. And remember, David went there because he was running from Saul and, and feigned to be on the king's business. And so he comes to the priests there at Nob, and he claims to be, you know, that he's got men, but they're not with him. He, he's really kind of all alone and obviously very hungry, very discouraged. And very distraught, knowing that he had very few allies. In fact, the only two allies at this point in David's life are really the Lord, Samuel, and Jonathan. Jonathan, King Saul's son. And, and so you remember that he went to the priest there, and the priest allowed him to, to have the, the showbread, which um, wasn't lawful for him to have. But he allowed it out of the need of David and his men, which I'm assuming were hiding out in the hills somewhere. And then Saul finds out about this, and he comes and he summons the priests to Gabeah, where Saul's hometown is. And Saul turns to, the, to Ahimelech, the priest, and he says, why have you conspired against me, and why are you helping my enemy? And of course, Ahimelech was completely unaware of any of this, because he believed David's lie. And as a result of that, Saul, in his rage, takes his revenge on the priests, thinking that somehow they've conspired against him, and, um, and being for David, Saul's enemy. And so... Saul asked his army to kill the 85 men, these 85 priests, and their conscience wouldn't let them do it. And so he looks at this man who, his name's Doeg, and Doeg, the Edomite, he says, you fall upon them and you kill the priests. And Doeg, seeking to curry favor with King Saul, does that very thing and he kills 85 of the priests. But one of the men escaped and his name was Abiathar. Abiathar. And so we pick up now in chapter 23. Let's read it together. It says, Then they took David, then they told David, excuse me, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah? against the armies of the Philistines. Then David inquired of the Lord once again, 
And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go, to, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. And so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, and Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered me, delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege it, to besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord says, he will come down. And then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. And so David and his men, about 600 men, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. He sh- you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. And then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all your desire of your soul. Come down, and our part will be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hiding place is and who has seen him there, for I am told that he is very crafty. So therefore, see therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go out with you and it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told, David, they told David, and therefore he went down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And so David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come. For the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they call that place the Rock of Escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. What an amazing um, 
passage this is. Again, just David running again for his life. Let's go back to the very uh, first verse here in chapter 23. This town of Keilah is uh, a town, it's, it's uh, directly south of Adullam's cave. If you remember, uh, David was hiding there with his men, and uh, Adullam is not very far away from the place where David slew Goliath, actually. It's just a little bit south uh, east of the place where David and Goliath had the battle. And it's a place that um, is, it's, it's, a very, it's about 500 feet high, and it's just littered, this whole area is just littered with caves and, and, and pocks and holes and, and things, and some of those caves can fit several hundred men all at once. And so this was a great place for David to hide. And, and so that's, that's exactly where they went. And this place, Keilah, the name means fortress. And this place is about, 50, about 1,600 feet above sea level. So it's a, it's a good place. The name of it speaks for itself, a fortress. We're going to see in this chapter that, in chapter 22 actually, David, if you recall, he was in Adullam's cave. And then he flees to the west or to the east of that to a place called the forest of Hereth. And it's interesting as you look at this on a map, if you're to follow these names and follow it on a map, what, what's happening here is David is doing this kind of pattern. If you can look up at me right now, he starts in Adullam, he goes over to the forest of Hereth, then he goes down to Keilah, then to the wilderness of Ziph, and then to the wilderness of Maon, and then finally further over to Engedi, which is on the coastline of the Dead Sea where we visited this last March. And uh, we'll talk more about that when we get there. But just the erratic pattern, and it's sort of like a gazelle running from a lion because that's really what David was. He was a hunted man. He was a high target, a high-prized target for Saul. Saul was so enraged with David, so jealous of his, of his uh, military prowess, certainly jealous the fact that David could play the guitar and he could not. I'm convinced of it. He was a musician. And again, I, I'm so enamored by that because very rarely is a warrior a sensitive musician. It's usually the guys who's got the bloody knuckles and, you know, they're out in the war. That The last thing you want to look at is an artist. I mean, they're just not that kind of people, you know. But David was one of those individuals. He was just very unique very creative. And aren't you glad that God makes us all very unique, that we're not cookie cutters? He doesn't make us all the same. The same spirit can indwell us, but, the, but our personalities, the makeup, how God has formed our life, he, he doesn't remove that. He just he modifies you know, our personality by just his spirit being in us. And I love that because he changes me from the inside out as he does you. So he did the same with David. And so we see David on this erratic pattern because he's being chased and it's never a good place to be in. Never a good place to be in. But I notice when it says in verse 1 there, the, when, they, when it was told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. And so David now, he's, he's got to think about um, these people. Saul should have been the one. Saul and his army should have been the one delivering Keilah from this enemy uh, uh, combat, this, this, this battle that was going on. But who did they go to? They went to, they heard that David was in the area, and so they reached out to David because not everybody was opposed to David, but they were afraid to be associated with him because they knew Saul was after him. And people who were associated with David ended up dead. 
We see that even in the priesthood, you know, the priests of, of Nob. And, and so everyone's a little pensive being around David because they don't know what jealous Saul is going to do. Because he, he didn't believe Ahimelech. And he's not going to believe anybody else because that's what jealousy and hatred does. It, it's like a cancer. And, it, it, and, and no matter what somebody says, the person already, you know, Saul has already got his mind up. You're conspiring against me. You're, you're going against me. And that's what a paranoid person does. That's what a person not governed by the Spirit does. And robbing the threshing floors was a big deal because, as you remember, Israel, when they would thresh wheat, they would take it up on a high mountain or a high hill where the wind is blowing, and they would take that wheat and they would rub it in their hands. And then as the wind was blowing, the chaff would blow away in the wind and the heavier grain would land on the ground, and they would have probably, you know, they would gather this stuff and collect it. And what the Philistines were doing is they were waiting for them to thresh their wheat and then going up and taking it from them, you know, after they've already done all the work. They've gone out in the fields, they've done this stuff, and, and they're threshing it, and the, and the enemy comes right in. The enemy never does any work. The enemy always robs from those who do the work. Isn't that just like the devil? He robs from you. He wants to take from you. In fact, didn't Jesus say he's a liar? He's a robber. He's a thief. He was from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And he's lying to you and I every day. Notice in verse 2, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack them and save Keilah. Notice how David how his, um, he inquired of the Lord. He was a man of prayer. He was dependent upon God. And that is very uh, different from Saul because Saul was very self-willed, very independent, kind of did what he wanted, how he felt. You know, be, be careful of, of your feelings, folks, because it's true that the devil loves to get us focused on our feelings rather than on the truth of the Word of God, rather than on the promises of God. And feelings are very, very, very significant because... You know as well as I do, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, your emotions can get a hold of you, and you, and, and you just feel like a different person. And oh, how careful we have to be. We have to be exceptionally careful in times like that. Otherwise, we're going to be all over the map. And so the Spirit of God, aren't you glad that he, when he comes inside of us, he modifies and he wants to control that old nature, those, those feelings, those emotions. Be careful with your feelings. But I love how David inquired of the Lord. David was a man of prayer. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? Are you? It's what's lacking in the church today. You know, it's interesting that it's always been the thing that's lacking in the church. Not just here. I mean, there's some wonderful prayer warriors here, and we have a great time on Tuesday nights when we have our prayer meeting, and I'm not knocking anybody here, but we could all do better. I know that I could do better, and certainly the churches in our country, they could do a whole lot better because we're losing so much, and we're not engaged with what the Lord is doing. We need to be men and women of prayer. And David here, is, he inquired of the Lord. He didn't just, you know, he had a lot of skills and abilities, but you don't see him just resting on the arm of the flesh which is what we do in America. We rest on the arm of the flesh. We do what feels comfortable to us. Because we've done it for so long and it's worked so far, why change now? I get the results that I want, therefore I'm good. Isn't that the truth? It's the truth in my heart sometimes. Maybe you can relate to that. But it's very important. Join us Tuesday evening. 
Join us before services on Sunday morning. We have a prayer room right across the hall here. Join us, even for 15 minutes before the service. Just come in there. I would love for us to have such a, a, a great turnout that we would have to go into a bigger room. I really would. I, I really want to encourage you to really invest in prayer. Because remember, it's not just you speaking to the Lord. It's you hearing from him and agreeing with him and having his heart meld within your heart and for you to be talking back. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way conversation. Why? Because it's a relationship, right? We know that. But David here, as he inquires of the Lord, uh, we know that David's seer, meaning he was a, um, a seer, his name was Gad, and we know that Gad was with David at this time, so he's probably inquiring by Gad, and um, how that's happening, I don't really know. The scripture's silent, you know. He may have had Gad pray, and, and the Lord was speaking through Gad as David was asking the questions, and Gad was giving him the answers. And, and I love the fact that David would be willing to submit to someone when David had a relationship with the Lord as well, but he knew that he trusted this man. You know, David wasn't so high and mighty, even at this, you know, he, was very, he, he wasn't even king yet, although he had been anointed already. He wasn't so high and mighty that he couldn't take direction from another man that God was using. And I, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing about David. And that's a wonderful thing about any servant of God. Any servant of God ought to be able to take that, you know, direction from, from, the, from the Lord, if it's the Lord. And obviously David trusted this man. He saw the character of this man. He knew this man's heart. And that's important. But David's men, verse 3, said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord once again. So David already inquired of the Lord. And then his men said, You know what? We are just scared. Honestly, David. You know, we're here in Judah, and Keilah is right on the border of the Philistine territory. We're scared as it is. We don't even want to go over there. So you might want to check with the Lord again. You know what I love about the Lord? Is the Lord didn't break through the clouds and say, you guys are a bunch of wimps. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't come in and upbraid them. He didn't yell at them. And the same thing he did with Gideon. Remember back in Judges, when we were in Judges? Did God upbraid Gideon for his, his small faith? You know, and God was growing it, and that was okay, because he was growing, and God can, you know, a smoking flax he won't quench, you know. And I love that about the Lord. But no, David goes to the Lord again, and the Lord goes, I understand the way the guys are, but you know what? I'm going to tell you the same thing, David. Go, you and your men. You're going to do well. You're going to have victory over these men and I just love that about the Lord. He, he takes what we have, even our fears, and he's, he's not so uh, stern and so staunch that he's just like you either. It's my way or the highway all the time. It, it, it is that way, but he's so gentle in the way he gets us into it. His way is always the best. And when I deviate from his plan, I always find myself in a strait. I always find myself in trouble, always. He's got a better plan than you do than I do. His plan is good. Seek his faith. Seek, find out what the word of God says. Find out the Lord's will for your life. It's because it's different. Every one of us in this room, God has a plan for, and it's going to look a little different. It's not going to violate his word at all, but it's different. And we ought to love and support one another in it, right? Pray, pray for each other about it. Amen? But he is. He's gracious to help us when, we are, when our faith is weak. 
And he's been that way for me, too. When my faith has been weak, he's always been there to help me. You know, and I felt like just throwing in the towel. Have you ever felt like throwing in the towel? You're just like, you've had enough. You're just like, I'm done. And you run, you run to the Lord. I love the, the picture that he gives to it. He says, how I would have gathered you as a hen, you know, putting your feathers over and covering. And, and see, that's the, the, the gentleness of God. Yes, he's a God of war. He's a God of power. But he's also the most gentle God imaginable. And he speaks to us in such loving ways, and I love that about him. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'd like to show you something, because as we looked at these two verses, you know, uh, verses 2 through 4, I want to show you something else in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Beginning in verse 17. David... Not too long after he assumed the, the kingdom from Hebron, you remember in Hebron, he uh, was crowned king. And it wasn't long after that that the Philistines reared their head again. And notice in verse 17, and based on what we just read, verses 2 through 4, let's read this passage, 17 through 25, and let me know if you see any similarities. And there's a good lesson here for us. It says, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines also went, and they deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breach, or like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. And then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not, oh, I think I messed up here. Um, yes, verse 22. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and, and he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come up in front of them uh, of the mulberry trees, and it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so, as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Now, what's interesting about this, when you look at verses 2 through 4, what we just read, we see the same thing happening again later on in his life. I think David learned a lesson here, and I think the lesson is good for us, too. Because he went up against the Philistines and he inquired of the Lord, Lord, would you, will you deliver them into my hands? And God says, doubtless, I will deliver them. And then, um, and then he does. And he, he's victorious. And then they rise up again and he says, Lord, should I go up against them again? And as soon as the Lord's word says, go out against, I can imagine most of us would be like, okay, I know what, I know what I'm, I know, we did it before. Let's just go do the same thing again. Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. We're just going to go and we're going to do it, Right? But God says, you shall not go up. You're going to do it a little bit differently, David. And I love this. 
Young men at West Point, they learn all the moves from the Bible. <laughs> and this is a good one. You go out the enemy one way, the next time you don't hit him the same way. You do it a different way. And God was using this uh, opportunity to teach David something about warfare, certainly something that he would need as being king of Israel. And so he says, no, don't hit him straight on like you did last time, David. Go around. And then when I give the sound of the mulberry trees and you hear that sound above you, then you go out because I've given them into your hand. And notice it says David did so. He didn't argue with the Lord. But Lord, we mopped the whole thing up the last time. Come on. We can do this. <laughs> Have you ever argued with the Lord about his way? I've done it before, Lord. You, you did it this way before. You can do it again. God says, yes, I can, and I will, but we're going to do a little variation. Because, David, there's something that you don't know that I know. And if you just follow my lead, you will be safe and you will have victory. But the moment you think in yourself that you can do this in your own strength, with your own vision and understanding, with your own prowess, David, you're going to be defeated. And so David listens. Notice there was no presumption with David. It seems that, you know, um, based on this holy habit of his to inquire of the Lord, which is a really good thing, in the passage we're looking at tonight, David learns something, and he's going to do it. He's going to continue to inquire of the Lord all of his life. He made his mistakes. We know what they are. But David was a worshiper. David was a prayer warrior. Most of the Psalms are really prayer songs, talking about how great God is. So he was a man of prayer. Again, are you a man, a woman of prayer? Do you want to be more of a man or woman of prayer? I know I do. I know I do. And I pray that you do as well. Verse 5, it says, And David and his men went to Keilah, and they fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, took away their livestock. And then in verse 6, it says, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Remember, the Philistines, they, they struck the priests. Actually, the priests came from Nob, the city, down to Gibeah, the priests were killed. One of the guys stayed behind. He escaped because I, I think in their heart they're thinking, you know, just in case. And we've heard this Saul is kind of like he's watching too much television, playing too many video games. There's something with this guy. He's not quite, doesn't have his mind on. Why don't one of us stay behind? So he does. He does. He stays behind. Abiathar. And it was told, David, verse 7, it was told that David had gone to Keilah, so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. You know, and, and can you see this? Notice Saul's delusional euphoria. That's what it is. And he even brings God into it. And see, that's what a man in sin does. A man who's compromised, he, he, he doesn't just count on his own things that he does. No, he likes to bring in God into it. Well, God told me to do this. God, you know, God, thank you, God, for delivering David. God's like, uh, um, excuse me, Saul, are you aware of the prophecies in the Old Testament about David and about my son coming through David? Do you understand any of that? Do you realize how much is on the line right now with David? Seriously, there's so many prophecies in the Bible that if Saul kills David... He will make God a liar, and all the scriptures will be null and void, and then we might as well just go home, right? Hmm. And then Saul has the, the gall to say, God has delivered me into my hand. 
He's delivered David into my hand. And Saul thought that God was giving him a victory over David. But look down in verse 14. Look down in verse 14. What does it say? But God did not deliver him into his hand. So Saul is in a world of his own, which is not uncommon for someone who is ill mentally and spiritually. They see everyone as their enemy. You remember in John chapter 16, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples on that last supper in the upper room, what did he say to them? He said, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. (laughs) That's really what Saul is thinking here. God's given me this victory. And people love to bring in God into their evil plans and evil schemes. But the same spirit The same spirit of Antichrist was working in the heart of Saul. Same spirit. Verse 8, Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And so now Abiathar has this, this ephod And we believe that David inquired uh, of the Lord, probably by Urim and Thummim. Say that really fast three times. And uh, make sure you're alone when you do it, because everyone will think you're crazy. But Urim and Thummim, uh, these were two rocks that we believe was in the the pouch or in the the ephod that the high priest would wear. The, The ephod was a vestment worn by the high priest. It was made of fine linen. It consisted of two pieces which hung from the neck and covered both the neck and the front above the tunic and the outer garment, and two pieces were joined together over the shoulders, so it was sort of like a, a halter kind of thing that would, two pieces, on the, one on the front, the other, and then two straps that would hold it, and then on the front would be a breastplate with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes, and then inside the pouch would be this Urim and Thummim, and these are um, the things that often... Men and um, kings would divine from. They would discern God's heart by. They would ask a question of the Lord, and the high priest would put his hand in, these, in his pocket and pull out one of these stones. And a, if it was a yes answer, it would be a white stone. If it was a, a black stone, it would be an, an answer of no. And so sometimes they would, they would do that. And remember, the lot is cast in a lap, but the Lord is um, the one who puts that all together, right? He's able to, to do that. And so, so David knew that Saul had plotted evil against him, verse 9, and he said to Abiathar, bring the, uh, the ephod here. And again, um, just notice the dependence that David had upon the Lord and not on his own wisdom. Again, a great lesson for us to learn here. In fact, if I could put a title on tonight's message, this passage that we're looking at, it would be Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, because that's exactly what David did. You know this passage very well in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. In Psalm 20 verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Where is your trust tonight? Are are we really trusting in the Lord? 
Are we trusting in him? Am I trusting in the Lord? We know he's trustworthy. Many of, this, many of us in this room, perhaps all of us, have been in situations where we've, been, where we've had to trust the Lord. We've had nowhere to go, and the Lord was the one that got you out of the mess, got you out of the pickle that you were in. I can attest to that. And sometimes, even when I wasn't trusting in him, God was working, unbeknownst to me, behind the scenes, in his mercy. And then later on, I would realize, God, you really were there for me. And he's like, Rob, I've, I've been there when you were clueless in Seattle. <laughs> I was there for you before you even knew I was even aware of any, before you even knew who I was. I was watching out for you. I was taking note. And I love that. He's like that with all of us. Have you ever looked back on your life and, and seen things and, and said, you know what, Lord, even when I was in my darkness, I didn't even know you. I didn't care to know you. I was very happy and very content in my darkness and my sin. And you were looking out for me. Lord, remember that night that I was parting with that group and many of them were doing these certain things and I could have done that. And one of them died that night because they got a hot shot. Remember that, Lord? And he's like, yeah, remember how I, gave you, I, I, I caused you to be sick to your stomach and you had to leave before you partook of that? That was me. <laughs> that was me. Remember this morning when you were brushing your teeth and you dropped your toothbrush? Those four seconds that it cost you saved you from going through an intersection and a car going through. And Rob, you had no idea that I bumped that toothbrush out of your hand <laughs> because I knew what was happening that day. You had no idea. I've been looking out for you all your life. That's the kind of stuff that brings you to your knees, isn't it? When you think, are you really that good? And he says, yeah, I'm even better than that. <laughs> I'm so much better than that. So good. Like the song we sing tonight, you are so good to me, right? In Isaiah 31, verse 1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But you do not look upon the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. And there's the exhortation. Seek the Lord. Trust in Him. Don't trust in all the accoutrements of our culture and our society. Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you trusting in your 401k? Are you trusting in your own financial provision, your credit score, your nest egg, your credit cards? People trust in those things. And we live in a country where we have access to those financial resources. We have to be really careful. And isn't it true that the older we get, the more life experience that we have, we tend to rely more on our life experience than on the Lord? Hopefully that's not true, but we can tend to increase in that rather than decrease, like John the Baptist. He said, I must, in, I must decrease and the Lord must increase, but are we increasing in our own wisdom and our own experience? Well, done that before, done that before. David could have said, Lord, we've done this before. You know, they, they fall for the same trick. We don't need to do anything different. He's like, no, David, you're not going to go up. I want you to go around behind, and I want you to wait. I want you to wait on me, and then when, I, when you hear that sound, then you go out, and then you'll have the victory. But the older we get, if we're not careful, folks, we can rely on our past experiences. And perhaps that's why the church is struggling. And even church attendance in America is waning. I don't know if you knew that. I saw 
uh, statistic the other day, and every decade, the church attendance is going down and down and down. It's, it's true. People are getting more focused on other things. They're, 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 they're relying more on, their, on themselves. They're no longer reading the Bible. They're no longer praying. They're no longer serving the Lord. They're just happy and, and going to work and making money and then moving to Florida when they get old to play golf and to go out on the boat, to go out on the yacht, to go to Boca Grande and go tarpon fishing. You know, and then the world, they see us, the church, and they say, you know, we see you guys doing the same thing. What's the use? And that really hurts, doesn't it? But it's easy. We can develop that attitude of, I've been around the block long enough. And most of us, as you get older, you can say that. I've been around the block a few times, seen this before, been there, done that. I've even got the T-shirt to prove it. And you rely more on your, your experience And what a shame it is to see older people still operating in that. Old saints, no faith anymore. They're just relying on their old ways, not really surrendered to the Lord anymore. Been there, done that, we can do it this way, and no longer really resting in his grace. And may God help you if you get away with that getting away with your own wisdom and maybe even being uh, uh, things going fairly decent as a result of that. May God help you if that's the case. Because the more that that happens, do you understand? We get more entrenched. We get more set set in our ways. We get hardened. Our heart gets hard. And maybe as a Christian, maybe that's not you tonight. It could be. I know people like that. Older saints in Christ that should be superstars in the, in the, in the, in the kingdom, but rather they've gotten hardened over the years. Something has happened to them. They stop reading, they stop praying, they stop going to church. They just get hard and crusty, and they, they become set in their ways, and it's never a good thing. It's time to break up, as the Scripture says, the fallow ground, that hard, clumpy soil that's just got no water in it. There's no moisture to it. What does it say in Jeremiah? Jeremiah, through God through Jeremiah, said, Thus says the Lord of, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts, that hardness of our hearts, to take that away, to break it up. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. It's a good thing to break up the fallow ground. Anybody have fallow ground in here tonight? I would be willing to say that probably in all of our lives, in some area or another, there's some fallow ground that needs to be broken up. You know, the, that little thing that has the tongs on it, you know, you need to stick it in there and you need to loosen it up again and add some water and make your life more pliable and usable. You know, in fact, I, I think, if I remember correctly, someone asked Chuck Smith one time, you know, if, if you could do one thing, what, what would it be? And I think what his response to this question was that the Lord would make me pliable and usable. And that's what I think of. Because someone who has a heart that's a ground that's just dry and cracked like a desert floor, 
There's not much you can do with it. So the Lord wants to water it, right? He wants to add water to it and make it soft again. I mean, I don't think anybody here really wants to have a hard heart anyway, do we? I mean, it just grieves the Spirit of God. You know when you've got a hard heart because you look at everybody with crossed eyes. You look at everybody with suspicion. You look at everybody's a, it's a competition. Everything that happens with everybody around you, it's a, a spiritual competition. Instead of just loving each other for the different places that we're in and enjoying that. You know, guess what, folks? We're all going to heaven. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going up. And some of you may be further on the escalator, but guess what? You're all in the escalator. You're all going to get there. Some may be more closer, you know, because they've been walking. Some are just starting on the escalator, but guess what? Everyone on that escalator in Christ goes to him. Why not help each other out? Why not encourage everyone? And put away the, those things that just don't edify, but rather love each other. See, that's what the world needs to see. Instead of the church fighting, seeing the church really loving each other, regardless of skin color, regardless of political platform, regardless of anything. I mean, really, we're the only ones in the world that can do that. To get this many people, even, and those online, to, 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 to gather together and to be united in Christ. I mean, is there anything that people can unite under, really? I mean, from the very depths of their heart and their being, you and I can do that. Because the same spirit that is in me is the same spirit that's in you. And when we talk about things and when we read the scripture, we're all in tune with one another because we have the same spirit indwelling us. And I love that. I love that. Verse 10, it says, Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God, and hear the desperation here in David's voice. O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servants. I mean, that's what desperation is, folks. And the Lord says he will come down. And I love it. God always responds to desperation. When I've got it all figured out, God doesn't need to, you know, really come into my life. I mean, he does at times, unbeknownst to me. But if I, if I can handle it, he's like, well, handle it. Let's see what you do. <laughs> and whatever I do, I make a mess. But when I'm desperate, where's our desperation? Are we desperate for anything anymore? I mean that. Are we desperate for him? I think of what we've been through in this country in the last year, Everything that's been going on, I am desperate for him. I need, I'm desperate for him, for discernment, for, to keep my own heart and my own mind in order and check. I'm desperate for him because, honestly, with all of the canceling and all of the, the, the deception and all of the uh, all this weird and wacky stuff, don't trust any of the media. Just turn it all off. Trust one person. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ and trust his word. Everything else, folks, is subject to fall on, your, on its face. This, he, Jesus Christ, the word of God, he will not fail. He can never fail. And he is truth personified. Why not spend more time in the word of God where I'm going to be told the truth? I don't know about you, but I don't like to be lied to. And everyone around me in the media in our culture is lying. But God will never lie. His truth is truth. Amen? 
But notice when God says in verse 11, he will come down, David. Saul's going to come down after you. And I love this because God is basically showing his, demonstrating his omniscience, the fact that he knows all things. He, he knows the end from the beginning. Doesn't it say in Isaiah 57, verse 15, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. If he inhabits eternity, that means that he's already seen. That's why he's the Alpha and Omega. He can see as if everything has already happened when it hasn't happened yet. He's looking down on it all, and he can see when I was born. And he knows that everything that's going to happen in my life and in your life, he knows my very last breath. He knows where I'm going to be. He knows that I'm going to eat the night before I die. Or he knows the very day he's coming. He's able to tell David, he is going to come, David. He's going to come after you. No one, no being, no spirit is able to do this but God. And to those whom he imparts that knowledge. Remember in Daniel chapter 2 when God gave to Nebuchadnezzar the image of the statue and basically showed the four different kingdoms in world history from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the end, to the tribulation period, to the revived Roman Empire. He gives them this vision, and no one could, could answer it. And Nebuchadnezzar did something really impossible. He says, not only am I not going to tell you what the dream was, but you need to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it. And his soothsayers and all of his magicians are going, no one has ever asked anything like that of anyone. You're crazy. And Daniel says, give me a minute, king. Give, give us some time. And then the Lord speaks to him and his three companions. And Daniel goes back to him. And Daniel says to him in verse 27 of Daniel 2, he says, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, they cannot deliver to the king. They can't declare it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he lays them all out, the secrets of God delivered to a man, Daniel. <laughs> To tell the king, and I believe in, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. His own, his own testimony in Daniel chapter 4. He said, there's no one like God. I lost my mind, Nebuchadnezzar says, and until I came to know that he's the one who rules. He's the king. He's the king. And that's really what God did with David. Telling him secrets. Oh yeah, he's, Saul's coming after you, David. And the men of Keilah, by the way, you saved them, didn't you? And you'd think that they'd be grateful. You'd think they'd throw you a big banquet, put you on a little rickshaw and take you through the town and, and exalt your name and have people blowing, you know, blowing up stuff. But they're going to deliver you up too. Sorry. And Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, remember that day of the Pentecost, day of Pentecost? When he's speaking, he says, Men and brethren, let me, freak spe let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, what, David, a prophet? Yes. God spoke to David. He's a prophet. David was a prophet. And God 
showing his all-knowingness of all things, he delivers that secret to his servant, David the prophet, and the king. And then in verse 12 it says, Then David says, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into your hand? And the Lord said, Yep, they're going to deliver you. They're going to sign, seal, and deliver you right there. You're going to have a FedEx tracking number right on you, David. They're going to deliver you. (laughs) The heart of man is fickle, isn't it? After You think that after that great victory and delivering them from the Philistines, you'd think there'd be some kind of, again, some blessing that they would give upon David. And what is the thanks that he gets? He gets a tracking number stamped on his forehead, sent to the King Saul. We're going to deliver him up. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I love the Lord actually answers the question. He goes, I, the Lord, (laughs) I search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And this is why Scripture always tells us not to trust in man, but trust in the Lord. I remember meeting somebody one time, and it was in the street somewhere down the city. It might have been when I went to Eastman down there. I remember I was on the, um, familiar with all the panhandlers and stuff like that, because in the beginning I was very gullible, and I gave them everything. And then the Lord wised me up over time. And I remember talking to one of them, and one of them said, well, you've got to trust me. And I'm like, the Bible doesn't tell me I have to trust anybody except him. Why should I trust you? I don't even know you. And Christians, will, people say that to a Christian. Well, you've got to trust me. You're a Christian. Oh, really? Well, the Bible tells me not to trust anybody except him, right? <laughs> it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Isn't that what Psalm 118 says? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes, In Proverbs 25, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Ouch. Cursed is the man, Jeremiah says, who trusts in man and makes makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Verse 13, so David and his men, about 600 of them, arose and departed from Keilah, went wherever they could go, and then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. So Saul finally gets fed up with chasing David. He wants him really bad, but he's just wasting a lot of time, a lot of man hours, a lot of human resources. So in verse 14, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but notice God did not deliver him into his hand. You know, again, if you were to look at a map as we go through these cities, I'd encourage you to do that because you you really are going to see this zigzagging back and forth. He's like a gazelle running from a lion. So David, verse 15, saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan was this wonderful friend, and we, we looked at this, alas, when we were in chapter 19 and 20. You know, these two brothers, I mean, these two men were, it was like an amazing friendship. You know, blessed are you if you have a friend that is like this kind of friend. You know, whether you're male or female, if you've got a really close friend that said, you know what, I'll go, I'll go to the very grave with you if need be. You know, and their hearts are knit together. I mean, it says that they're love for each other. And this was not a weird kind of thing, okay? This was a, a, a deep love, but it was 
a manly love, a godly love, but their love surpassed the love of women, the Scripture tells us. That, that's how close they were. That, that's how united they were. And to have a friend like that today is such a wonderful thing. You know, hopefully we have that in our spouse. Is your spouse someone that you can tell everything to? Is your spouse your best friend? There's nothing you can't tell them. You can trust them with your very heart. I mean, think about that, folks. To, to actually take your heart out and to hand it to someone and say, this is yours. I give it to you. And knowing that you don't even have to put a clause in there. They will just take care of that heart. They'll take it into their own and they'll, correct, they'll, they'll, they'll take very good care of it. And you can trust it with a man. I tell you, that is the kind of love that God demonstrates and wants us to demonstrate back to him because he is trustworthy. Trust in the Lord, but not in man. So, and this, it's interesting, um, this is the last time that Jonathan and David are going to see each other. This is it. In chapter 20, we saw that they had the, when they were out in the field, that that might have been the last time that they were going to see each other. But um, this ended up, this is kind of like an impromptu meeting, and this is definitely the last time they see each other, because the last time, the next thing that's going to happen to Jonathan is he's going to go into battle with his dad in chapter 31, and he's going to die at the hands of the Philistines. Not only him, but Jonathan and all of Jonathan's brothers, they're all going to die on the same day. But notice in verse 17, and Jonathan said to him, and he says, do not fear. And, and I'm sure this is like the balm of Gilead for David because, you know, being on the run for so long and, and to hear something from someone like Jonathan, a man he really loved as a friend, as a dear brother, he says to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that, and how that must have just delighted David's heart, saying, you know what, Jonathan, I could have, hearing your voice and hearing you say that meant so much to me. And I love the confidence of Jonathan and his confidence in, in he and David's friendship. But unfortunately, we know that he would be killed later. So the two of them, verse 18, made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So we see, we here we see just a, a, a reaffirming of the covenant that they made. They made two other covenants prior to this. The first one was in chapter 18, verse 3, and, and then in chapter 20, verse 8, and then now here in chapter 23, verse 18. And basically the covenant was this. David, if, when you come into your kingdom, be kind to my family. You know, don't wipe them out, because that's very common in those days. Once a king becomes king, he wipes out his opponent, the other king's family. Oftentimes that happened, especially because of the bitterness between Saul and David. There would be people in his family that would want to come after David after he became king. And, 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 and Jonathan's like, David, please preserve my son, Mephibosheth. Preserve my family. And what did David do when he came into, in, into the kinghood, into, into the crown? He took Mephibosheth. He gave him his land back. He had servants serve him because he was wounded. He was, he was lame on his feet. And David took him in. He sat at David's table to eat. So David honored this oath that he and Jonathan made. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gabeah, saying, Is not David hiding with us? And again, now, it wasn't enough that the, the men of Keilah, you know, blew him in and, and gave him up and put the FedEx sticker on him and said, Here he is, you know, open, open your iPhone, Saul, and track him. You'll find him. 
We'll give him to you. But now he comes to the, in the wilderness of Ziph. Now the Ziphites find that he's there, and they're basically telling Saul, we, we know where he is. We know where he is. Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. We don't have time tonight to do it, but I would encourage you to write in your margin of your Bible, right next to verse 20, Psalm 54. It's a psalm that David wrote during this very moment in his life. And I think when you read the passage over again and you read Psalm 54, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up and it's going to really make a lot of sense to you. Psalm 54. But notice what Saul said. Blessed are you of the Lord. And notice the hypocrisy of this. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Really? Blessed are you of the Lord? The Lord's not blessing you, Saul. The Lord, the Spirit of God went off of you and was now on, on, on David. An evil spirit was upon Saul. But yet he uses these flowery things. Didn't Paul tell Timothy this, that there, there are going to be those in the last days that they're going to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. That's exactly what Saul's doing. He's using all these Christian phrases, Christianese, but in his heart he's so far away from God. He has a form of godliness, but he's denying the power. And what does the Scripture tell us? From such people turn away. From such people turn away. So verse 21, he says, please go. Now, verse 22 and 23 are amazing because we're going to read those two verses Check this out. Please go and find out. And this is what Saul is saying. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. Let me read to you. You might want to write in your margin off of this one, too. You're going to flip when you see this. This just came to me just this morning, and it just blew my mind. Write in Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Right off of verse, uh, verses 22 and 23. Put in Matthew 2, verse 7 and 8. And here's why. We just read verses 22 and 23. Find out where he is, and I'll come. Find out where he is, all the lurking places, and I'll come, and I'll find him out. I'll search him out. Now we look at Matthew chapter 2. Remember Herod inquiring of the Magi who had come to seek where the child lay? What did Herod say in verse 7? Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And here it is. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Doesn't that sound awful lot like, I mean, you read that passage with verses 22 and 23 that we just read, they almost sound identical. And you want to know why? Same spirit. <laughs> the same spirit of Antichrist. When Herod sought to wipe out those children from two years old and under, do you understand that he was trying to usurp God's word? The devil in Herod was seeking to destroy the seed from, Revel or from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. He was seeking to destroy Christ. The devil in Herod. And now the, the same evil spirit in Saul is doing the exact same thing. He's doing the exact same thing. Don't you find that interesting? The same devil at work, the same devil wanting to thwart the word of God and all of the promises, the Davidic covenant, David from your seed of Judah will always last forever, 
forever and ever, for everlasting. And what does it say in Genesis 49, verse 10, when Jacob was on his deathbed? And what did he say to Judah? He said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter, the right to rule, the king, that shall never cease from, the, from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. A prophecy of not only David, but Jesus Christ through David. Because if Saul could snuff out David, do you understand that most of the scripture that, we've, that, that about David in the Bible would be null and void? And we would all be wasting our time because if God is outside of time like he says he is and can tell us the advance, and advance history, which he does, and then he messes up even once, we can pretty much say, we might as well go meet at the bar tonight. <laughs> Let's eat and drink now for tomorrow we die, right? But God cannot be thwarted. His word cannot be thwarted. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my being. There is nothing, there's no one that can mess with God's word and get away with it. And we'll see that. Notice. So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul, but, but, uh, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, so now they're zigzagging to another place in the, play, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. And then when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore he went back to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. So again, David is going to continue, or excuse me, Saul, he's going to continue to break the oath that he made to Jonathan. Do you remember that oath that he made back in Samuel in the 19th chapter? He told his son, Jonathan, he said, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. He made a vow to God in front of his son. And Saul has never ceased to stop seeking David, breaking his oath every single day, breaking his oath. There comes a point when God says, are you so hardened in your, in your position? Are you so bent on destruction, Saul, that all my, all my times of trying to influence you are, are just landing on a, on a dull heart? You know what's really scary is there comes a point, and only God knows this, and we don't have any way of knowing this, but there comes a point when a soul crosses the Rubicon, and there's no going back. God can forgive up to the very last minute, but to every individual, there's a point where God says, you know what? I've done everything I can. I've done more than I, I, I I've, I've exhausted my grace, and you really can't exhaust God's grace, but you've gone over that line, and there is a line. And let's not ever approach that line, shall we? I mean, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you've already crossed the line into God's forgiveness, and you don't have to worry about anything. But there's people out there, friends, family that you know, they've been flirting around, they taste a little bit, and then they spit it out. They're like, taste and see what the Lord, ah, eh, try it, and it didn't work for me. I'm glad it works for you, though. Really? You've never tried hard enough. You didn't swallow. Swallow the hook with the worm. Swallow it and get it into, your, into the middle of you. Why just mess around with the word of God? Take it all in and find out, and then you will find out that it is true, that he is true. So important for us. So Saul went on one side of the mountain, and you can see this. This is like a cat and mouse game. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. And so literally, it's the cat and mouse thing. They're running around the mountain, and they're chasing each other. And this is getting really hot and heavy, folks, because David and his men are getting encircled. It's only a matter of hours, perhaps, that they're going to find him, and they're going to kill him. 
and all of his men, and they had the firepower to do it. But God. Verse 27, you can put off off the margin, but God, ellipsis. (laughs) But God, dot, dot, dot. Because a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. The enemy was right on time. Is that any coincidence to God? I almost wonder if the Lord moved the Philistines. As, as he saw from heaven, just the armies coming and circling around David, David and the Lord's going to, the, to, uh, to, um, to Achish, the king of uh, the Philistines, and go, you know what? Saul told you that you look like a, a monkey and you smell like one too. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go after him right now. Come on, guys, get your stuff and let's go. And they go after him. And the Lord has them show up right at the right time. And prophetically speaking, there was so much riding on this event. Uh, on this event. Again, had Saul killed David, it would have made null and void a number of prophetic scriptures. But God will not allow that. He cannot be thwarted. And he allowed the Philistines, of their own making, of their own heart, of their own volition, they wanted to attack. And they did. And it was just the right time. God would see to it that Saul would be drawn away by the Philistines entering the land. And therefore, the Saul entered or returned from pursuing David, and he went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. And then David went up and there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. And we're going to end here, and I apologize for going a little bit over. But uh, En Gedi is a wonderful place. Um, we, we get to visit it uh, every time we go to Israel. And um, if you were to look at a map of the Dead Sea, and you were to look at the western side of the Dead Sea, right about halfway down, right about halfway, there's a place called En Gedi. And it's a really beautiful place. In the middle of this desert area, you've got this great, lush, beautiful waterfalls. And I'm not kidding. You walk back. We walk back. Remember, uh, um, we walk back on those, on those paths, Gary, and, and we, were, we were walking along. And you went back all the way back to David's waterfall. And we went back there, and you're just like a mile back there. I mean, you're really back there, and you're always, and you're looking around you, and all these ibex, these mountain goats, are all around, and they're up there on the crags, and they got stuff in their mouth, and they're looking at you. And the little conies are scurrying out from underneath things, and and you see these animals, you know, that the Bible talks about. They're still very populous there. They're all over the place. In fact, um, I have to say this just to because I'm a male, I guess. Um, when we were there um, in, in 2011, I think it was, um, they have a parking lot right there at En because it's a national park as well, but beautiful. And um, we were coming out to the bus, and I saw an Ibex on top of this guy's Porsche. It was a really nice-looking one, too. It looked like it had been brand new. And this Ibex, I'm not kidding. I, I actually took a picture of it. I, I couldn't find it because I had thou- literally thousands of photos. And, uh, but he jumped up. We were watching this with our own eyes. He jumps up on the front, right? Clunk, clunk, clunk. He's got these, you know, and he's, he's putting dents in the, in the hood. And then he jumps up on the top, on the roof of the thing, and he's up there, and he's reaching for uh, branches and the trees that were, right at, right, were parked right next to it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, this guy, you know, hope he's got good insurance. I mean, explain that one to your insurance, you know, adjuster. So how did these dents happen? Um, hail from heaven. That I believe. But what really happened? An Ibex jumped on my car. What? An Ibex? What's that? But it's a beautiful place. In fact, over the, over the years, 
several hundreds of years. As you know, that area in, in Israel, all around Israel actually, is very riff with um, uh, earthquakes. And uh, David hid with his men in Engedi, and some of those caverns in there were big enough to hold you know, a few hundred men. And it's, it's a great desert oasis. And um, come with us next uh, March with us. Start planning now. Uh, it be a great trip. And you'll go there and you'll see it. And it's an awesome thing. But, but tonight, as we um, have just uh, looked at this, I, I want to encourage you, you know, as David, if you look in those first couple of verses, you know, David inquired of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord often. Inquire of the Lord often in everything that you do, even the small things. The big things, we always run to the Lord in, this, in the big things. But for some reason, in the little day-to-day things, I mean, you don't have, I mean, there was one guy who, uh, Brother Lawrence, uh, he was, the, he was a, a real prayer warrior, and this guy would, he would go to the extreme, and I love his heart in this, although it wouldn't be very practical, but he would be like, Lord, should I get up today? Should I wear that today? Should I brush my teeth today? And the Lord's like, yeah, you better do that. Um, you know, but just every little thing, but that's how dependent he was. I mean, that, that may be a little extreme, perhaps, I don't know, but, but how, you know, inquire of the Lord, speak to him all the time during the day. Speak to him and, and trust in him and not in the arm of our flesh, in our experience. Trust in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time together, and Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for David's heart, God, just um, being such a man who was so dependent upon you and so willing, Lord, to just humble himself before you, Lord. It was a very unique, unique things that you did in the life of David. And, and so, Father, we pray that you would do those same things in each of us, God. Make us a people that are, that's trustworthy, Lord, that we can that we can be a great example, we can be great ambassadors of yours, Lord, in all that we say, and especially the things that we do, Lord. So have your way with us, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.